0: This episode sponsored by Clio, cloud-based practice management software. Makes it easy to manage your law firm from intake to invoice. Try it for free at clio.com. That's C-L-I-O dot com. C-L-I-O <laughs> Hello and welcome to another edition of On the Road with the Legal Talk Network. This is Patrick Palace, and I'm host for today's show, which is being recorded on location at the 2019 Cleo Cloud Conference in San Diego, California. Joining me, I have Daniel Pink, the New York Times best-selling author. Welcome, Daniel, to our show. Thank you, Patrick. Before we get into our topic, I just want to have a little understanding about where you came from.
1: Yeah, Because I know me too.
0: Well, I know where we're going to go with this conversation, but I'm having a hard time linking where your roots drove you into this topic of timing.
1: Interesting. Uh, That's a great question. I'm not really sure. Um, I sort of figured out what I want to do with my life when I was in my 30s, so I I wasn't that directed. So actually, I grew up in central Ohio. I went to college. I didn't have anything better to do when, when I got out of college, so I went to law school decided that when I was in law school that I wasn't going to practice law. I uh, ended up working in politics. I uh, did that for a while. It was sort of interesting. Then I realized I hated it. Uh, and, and I realized, you know, when I was in my early 30s, that what I really wanted to do was when I grew up was be a writer. And that's, that's what I started doing about 20 years
0: ago. Well, you didn't just like start out at any old law school. I mean, you kind of shot for the top. You ended up going to, to Yale.
1: Uh, yeah, I was a good, I mean, I, I got, I mean, I'm a, I'm a pretty good student. I get good grades. You're okay at this. Oh well, I mean, I don't. I wasn't. I was not very. I mean, I was very good. I was a very good student in, in college. Uh, I was a terrible student in law school. I, I shouldn't do very well in law school. No joke. For some reason, it just didn't. It it didn't really click for me. There's something about it that didn't click. And, and what I realized later on in life is that other things really really click for me. Uh,
0: and, and then you mentioned politics. Yeah. W- which I love because you didn't just go into a little politics. You ended up being a speechwriter for rather famous vice president, right?
1: Well, yeah, well, I mean, not Im- Im- immediately, but uh, I sort of me and... That's, I think that's how life works. I mean, I became a... You're right, Patrick, I did become a political speechwriter, but again, I didn't set out to do that. It was basically... I don't know, I was, someone needed a speech and I wrote it and they said, hey, that wasn't bad. And well, then they did, asked me again and again and suddenly I was writing speeches.
0: Well, it's just interesting that a guy who, whose expertise on human behavior about timing is the timing of law school. And I, and I have to wonder about the timing of writing political speeches, right? Mm. I mean, if there's ever a place to focus in on the mood of a crowd and the perception of a country and what people need to hear yeah. and the timing of that, I'm wondering if this is kind of a turning point for you.
1: Maybe it could it could be it's not not, not but but I, no, I mean I think I think that we are I think that where our lives go is influenced by a whole set of forces, some of which we see, some of which we don 't, some of which are intentional, some of which are completely circumstantial, so that could very that could very well be there is there's definitely an element of timing in a broader sense in any kind of political speeches in giving a speech there 's a sense of timing but but uh, politics is is very, very much about timing, not in the sort of more directed uh, scientific way that i 've been talking about it, but you know, there's a, there's a phrase that is often in politics like so-and-so is ahead of the voters. So you could be saying one thing one year and be a complete bomb, and then the country moves toward you, and you say that, that you know, someone else says it exactly the same thing four years later, eight years later, and suddenly they're on the top of the world.
0: Well, before we talk about your book, and I just have one more thing. I know that people must hire you for a lot of different purposes, or at least once you consult. I'm wondering if, if <laughs> politicians are one of those no. that reach, reach out to no, you. No, 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 no.
1: Very um, interesting. Yeah, almost almost never. All
0: right. So you have this new book out, When yeah. uh, the Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing. Can you just tell me about the impetus for this? What, what I mean, you've had a number of books, yeah. right, at the New York Times bestsellers. Here's your latest book. What, yeah. what brought you to this topic in this place? Uh,
1: it was really just my own frustrations in that I was making all kinds of these timing decisions in my own life. So everything from like, when in the day should I do my writing? And other kinds of questions like that. And I was, you know, despite my not flourishing in law school, I, I remain a, a fairly analytic guy. And so like, I want to do things based on evidence. I want to do things based on facts rather than just intuit my way to things. And, and I was making these decisions in a very sloppy way. And so I started looking around to see what do we know about this topic? And it turns out we know a huge amount about this topic. It's just that what we know is splintered and splattered all over the place.
0: So in researching for this book, I mean, we talked about silos that yeah. so many different yeah. uh, disciplines yeah. uh, had siloed their information. Yeah. Uh, was that part of your work for this to, to collect and to, and to gather and to, and to create some, find similarities?
1: Absolutely. No, no question. That, that, that's central to it. Uh, because, because again, and, and in some cases what it takes in this situation is, is a non-specialist to do that. So if you're trained as an economist— and you're a very good economist, and all of your professional life has been about getting better as an economist, you're going to look at most problems the way an economist would look at the problem. And that's very helpful for certain kinds of things. But you might not know how a microbiologist looks at it. You might not know how certain kinds of social psychologists look at it. You might not know, you know, what, what other fields are doing. And what I discovered is that literally, in some cases, literally the same questions, the, the same questions... Were being asked by people in discipline A and discipline B, but they had no idea that e-
0: either one was talking about it. So give us a sense for the listeners, and I assume, frankly, that everyone knows who you are. But I- I'd like to have them uh, have a greater sense of of what this timing thing means to you. Right? Examples, yeah. of how this how this might apply uh, to to our lives. What kind so, of situations? Okay. Yeah. yeah it so there's been? all
1: kinds of things. So so among the questions, so th- just think about the range of questions as research answers. So one of them would be, how does time of day affect how we feel and how we perform, and it turns out there are big differences in that. We can talk about that. Other lines of research talk about what's the effect of taking breaks? What do breaks do for our performance? What kind of breaks should we take? Other research shows how do beginnings affect us? Uh, other research shows what happens to us when we get to the midpoint of something. There's evidence showing that sometimes midpoints are a slump, some points mid, mid, sometimes midpoints are a spark. How do endings affect us? Endings have a huge effect on our behavior, often invisible, we can unpack that. How do groups synchronize in time? If you look at a rowing team or a coral group or you know any s- certain elements of supply chains, how are they able to synchronize in time? So there's answers to those questions. How does the very way we think about time affect our performance? And so there's just a, such an incredibly interesting range of questions as this, this answers, and all of it yields, I think, some insights into our condition as human beings, but what I also like is that those insights can yield very specific, practical things that people can do.
0: Can I drill down a little bit into the, the effect of time on, of day on it? Yeah. You talked about some, a couple of really incredible oh, studies crazy, about, yeah. about tweets and, okay, and yeah. tweets. Can you just tell us some Sure. To give so, so
1: there's a, a nice piece of research out of Cornell where they looked at, these two researchers looked, they so, happen to be sociologists, they looked at 500 million tweets and they put it into a, a program— that can measure the, basically a text analyzer that can measure the emotional level of the words that are used. Positive sentiment, negative sentiment, neutral sentiment, then they plot it against time of day. And what you showed is that people are revealing in their tweets a pattern of mood over the course of a day. Their mood is up early, mood goes down, and then mood recovers later in the day. And it turns out that pattern, peak trough recovery, up, down, up, is what other disciplines using other methodologies have found. And it says something about what is the pattern of our mood over the course of a day? Then you can take that pattern of mood and start asking other questions, which is like, how does that affect our performance over the course of a day? And what you discover there, again, looking at different fields, different methodologies, is that our performance changes considerably over the course of a day. Our performance is not even over the course of a day. Our brain power changes over, over the course of a day, sometimes in significant ways. And once you know that, you can then start doing things differently.
0: And so I have to think that based on your profession or maybe who you are as a consumer, yeah. that might lead you to make different choices totally. about how you, how you consume, how you purchase, when you do things. Roll that out for me a little bit. Okay, what does great. it look like in my, in, in my life? I'm going to go... Absolutely. Uh, okay,
1: so I'll give you the, the, the most, one of the most glaring things. Uh, don't go to the hospital in the afternoon if you can avoid it. Don't go to an important doctor appointment in the afternoon if you can avoid it. The evidence here is overwhelming. Doctors are more likely to prescribe uh, unnecessary antibiotics in afternoon appointments versus morning appointments. (laughs) Uh, Anesthesia errors are more likely in the mid-afternoon than they are first thing in the day. Uh, Endoscopists find fewer polyps in afternoon exams versus morning exams for the same population. I mean, over and over again, there are significant differences in healthcare performance based on time of day. So from a consumer point of view, truly, Patrick, I mean, in my family, uh, nobody is allowed to go to a important doctor appointment or discretionary hospital visit in the afternoon period no exceptions it's that real it's totally real i'm gonna give you an example my my uh, younger daughter maybe like it's not like a year and a half ago um had to have her she's in college she came back from winter break uh, for winter break and she had to have her wisdom teeth taken out yeah uh so she had to have the way that her wisdom teeth were she had to have basically general anesthesia to have her wisdom teeth taken out there is no way on god's green earth that my daughter was going to have anesthesia except in early in the morning, period. Because, again, the evidence is overwhelming. We know that anesthesia errors are four times more likely at 3 p.m. than at 9 a.m. So, why, like,
0: that's a no-brainer. Can we take that into the legal world for a minute? Because most of the listeners here are, yeah. are, are lawyers, and I'm wondering about this from, from two sides. A... If I'm a lawyer and I go out and give my closing argument versus what a jury may do with my closing argument. And I'm I'm wondering if if the timing of that, there's some effects in there that are real.
1: Well, I mean, I think it's a really, really good point. So what we know is that in general, okay, so in general, people hit their peak of vigilance early in the day, have a significant trough in the middle of the day, and then have are, are a little bit looser in their reasoning later in the day. So if you're a lawyer making closing argument, what I would do is I would focus very much on what, what is the, what is the juror's state of mind and there might be an, there might be a, an argument for using the let's say you have a depending on how long your closing argument is, but using the morning part of that to rigorously go over evidence. let's say it's a complex commercial litigation. you need to go over numbers. you need to go over like who did what when in a certain sequence. you have those complicated charts and things like that. Number one. That's generally hard for jurors to follow. But number two is that your jurors are, are on on average, much more likely to follow that in the morning than in the afternoon. And so maybe you have other kinds of evidence, more discursive evidence, more narrative evidence, maybe present that later in the day.
0: So I'm thinking that you really could come to your... Your final day of trial, uh, depending on when you get done with the judge and the instructions and all of that, with maybe different game plans of how you're going to present your closing with how the jurors are going to best hear what you have to say. You could. I want. Yeah, I would say it's it's less about a different game plan
1: than more. So if we're going to use a football analogy is yeah. basically being 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 willing to call uh, having a couple plays in mind. Uh, for that particular moment, and seeing where and seeing where you are uh, at at that particular moment. Uh, again, I don't want to overstate things. What we're talking about here is we're talking about notching the probability in our favor a bit. It doesn't mean like, oh my gosh, if I do this evidence in the afternoon, I win, and if I do this evidence in the morning, I lose. Right. No, 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 right. no, 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 right. no. What it means is that what we're doing is that we're we're talking about upping our odds. And when we think about the the decisions that other people make, there's some research in decision making showing that. Uh, When people come to a decision, they often have in their back pocket a default decision. Uh, And it's often hard for people to overcome the default. So if you think about something like sales, I try to sell you something, your default decision is no. How can I get you to overcome the default? There are some slight differences in timing when it comes to overcoming the default. So if you have a set of jurors and you think their default decision is going to be X, when are they more likely to overcome the default? What we know is that people are slightly more likely to overcome the default early in the day and immediately after breaks. So I actually think there's a way to call – I think that one of the tactical things in trial work is to be more strategic – well, to, more tactical in when you call for resources, when you, when you take breaks. Breaks can matter a lot.
0: So when I'm turning this around, instead of me being in front of a jury and worrying about how the jury is going to respond or best way to approach them, yeah. uh, can we talk about my work day? Yeah. So if, if my work day – and I tend to get up and the first thing I do is I, I grab my phone and I right. probably go through all of my – emails right. and maybe I'll look at Twitter for a few minutes right. and then I'll go you know, have a cup of coffee and, and I'll get to the office and then I'll start looking at what I have to do for the day. Right. You have a game plan for this.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, what you wanna do, here, here's the thing. Uh, most of us move through the day, as I said, in this three stages, peak, trough, recovery. Most of us have our peak earlier in the day. 20% of us don't, 20% of us peak, have our peak, our cognitive peak much later in the day, you know, in the, in the evening. What we need to understand is this. The key attribute of the peak period is that that's when we're most vigilant. We have, we're more vigilant. We're able to just to like focus and bat away distractions. And so you want to do work that requires that during that period of peak vigilance. I think for lawyers, it's you know, certain kinds of like writing a brief or writing a motion or whatever. You should be doing that during your peak of vigilance. Um, you shouldn't be doing it any other times a day if you if you can avoid it. Uh, let's say that you are stra- – let's say you're you're carefully going over a steps of a strategy for mm-hmm. a transaction or for a trial. You should be doing that at your peak of vigilance. Uh, what you shouldn't be doing is spending that precious peak period uh, answering emails and doing your expenses.
0: Like like I do, what yeah. you're saying.
1: Like a lot of us do. Like I have done for many, many times. I, I still – I mean, I'm still a sinner. I'm not saved yet. I still have to – you know, be very, very intentional and deliberate about not, you know, preserving that peak period, which for me is, you know, roughly, you know, 9 to 1230. Um, so it's only like, you know, three and a, three and a half hours of, of a whole day where I'm at my peak of vigilance. So as a writer, I should absolutely be doing my, writer, my writing then. I shouldn't be answering email. I shouldn't be, certainly shouldn't be on Twitter. And so I do things like not bring my phone with me into the office so I'm not distracted by that. Don't open up my email program, those kinds of things. And, you know, but, you know, and try to do that every day, it becomes more habitual.
0: Now, you also talk about not just the timing of the day. But the way people visualize things, like you talk about endings yeah. really being a critical consideration. Oh, yeah. uh, t- talk to a about, little about endings. What do you mean by that? Yeah,
1: but it's also, you know, beginnings have an effect on our behavior. Midpoints have an effect on our behavior. Endings have a multi, many, many effects on our behavior. So, for instance, uh, there's a lot of research it's very sturdy over many, many decades showing that, that endings help us energize. So when the end of something becomes visible, we kick harder. So um, this is why certain kinds of, like, interim deadlines will work on projects. Uh, what we also know is that is that how an experience ends has a disproportionate effect on how people remember it. And so that's extremely important for things like, uh, like a trial. We know that people prefer endings that elevate. We prefer rising sequences at the end rather than declining sequences at the end. And so being intentional about sort of, you know, how your experience, whatever your experience is. It could be a client meeting. It could be a trial. It could be... Uh, 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 your small firm has an offsite, uh, whatever it is. So just simply being intentional about how something ends it matters a heck of a lot.
0: You know we just talk about a lot about primacy and recency. Yeah, right, right, that kind of thing. But it's not, uh, it's not just it's more that, than that. The last thing you say, people remember. You code it. You say. And now the most important thing I'm going to tell you, the last thing I'm going to say, or something that, that well, tells you you're getting to that end where you really need to pay attention. That's
1: absolutely right. If you identify something as the last thing, you will have heightened, you will have heightened attention to it, which is different from the recency effect. The recency effect is that basically after the fact, what I've said last might be more remembered than, than that. What you're doing is you're actually, you're actually helping shape the experience of the people who you're talking to, the people who you're working with.
0: So add in the multi- motivational factor. I mean, I, I'm thinking if I'm, uh, and again, I'm keep bringing it back to jury trials. It could be a lot of things. Yeah. But I'm in, I guess, that jury trial frame of mind since our discussion. Uh, I'm motivating my jury to take a particular right. action. Right, right. And I'm bringing to the, you know, if the glove doesn't fit, you must quit. right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. That, that, the final thing. What would that look like strategically? The way you would tell people it's going de- to unveil. It's it. going to depend. I think
1: it's there's there's so much variation in like what kind of trial is it, you know? Sure. sure where sure. are you? Like like I don't think there's a single perfect answer to that. I do think what we know is that you need to think about the the journey. I mean, and I think good trial lawyers know this intuitively. You think about the journey that you're taking people on in the course of this trial, and so. How are people feeling at the beginning of something? So beginnings have a big effect. Beginnings can affect the initial trajectory of things. So, uh, what happens at the middle? What what happens at the middle is that there's a lot of evidence showing that when people get to the middle of things, they end up sagging a little bit. So what goes in the middle of your journey there? Maybe some of the le- maybe some of the less important things. How do things end? You know. And so I think I think what you want to do is you want to think. You want to factor in the temporal side of it, and. And we, you want to do it for very hard-headed reasons. Lawyers think, okay, what am I gonna say? What am I gonna do? They think about, how am I gonna say it? They think about, who am I gonna bring as witnesses, right? But, so, so that question of what and how and, and who are material questions in any legal practice. But what I'm suggesting is that when is also a material question. I'm not saying it's more important than the who or the what or the how, but I think the evidence is pretty clear that it's just as important. And it's one of those things that we don't reckon with. It's one of those things we don't factor in, which means that the people who start doing it are going to have a comparative advantage.
0: You also, we had uh, this brief discussion about what do you like better good news or, yeah. or bad news. Wendy, Wendy, what do you want to hear first? Good right. news or bad news? Right. And, and I love what you were talking about that. Maybe I thought you could repeat some of that for us. Yeah, so there's
1: some really good research on this about uh, giving good news and bad news. So people you know, all the time say, I've got some good news and some bad news. And and this is, again, one of the many areas where I had always gotten it wrong. I always gave the good news first because I thought I wanted to be a nice guy. I wanted to ease into it. I didn't want people to shut down by giving by giving the bad news. And what the research shows is that People prefer the bad news first and then the good news. And it's part of a larger line of research showing that people prefer uh, sequences at the end that, that, that rise rather than fall. And so I've changed my view on that. I, I, I always give the bad news first and then the good news. And here's the thing. I mean, as a listener, I always want the bad news first. I was just too stupid to, like, do it as a talker.
0: Well, I think I take the bad news first because... Give it to me and then it's that's like the sour before the sweet right
1: you know that 's precisely what it is though but in the, and we have a lot of we have this kind of innate preference from that and so
0: so what's the practical usage of that in, in everyday life how can I use this to improve my life for oh my god those for lawyers yeah. so let's um, lawyers are always giving good news and bad news
1: let's say you're a tax lawyer and you're, you have done the research and you have a client and your client's in big freaking trouble I would lead with that bad news straight away i wouldn't i wouldn't I would go show with that bad news, and then figure out is there any good news there, Uh, because I think there's what you want is you want to leave the client with a chance of. First of all, you want to be able to solve the client's problem. And to solve the client's problem, you need, often need that client's participation and their willingness to act. And so if, if they're completely demoralized and don't see any hope, they're less likely to be your participant in remedying the situation.
0: Now, so much of what you talked about has been about in the work setting and in yeah. lawyers. I'm wondering, like, when you go home to your wife, if you're like, honey, I have good news and bad news totally. for you I mean, I, I
1: think it's the same principle. I use the same principle in my professional life and in my personal life. I, I always give the bad news first. I, mean, I Honestly, I change that. I have changed my ways on that profoundly.
0: I just wondering if there's like the next book for you is to make a relationship book. Like all the ways you need to use these things in your life to make your spouse and your partner happy.
1: Yeah, I think I'm going to pass on that one. I don't want, I don't want to get into that thicket. It's a good idea for a book though. <laughs> well, just someone else should write it. It
0: does seem like there's a lot of really great tips. One of the things that uh, Jack Newton mentioned that, that your books are in the Clio library, and these are some mandatory readings for the employees of Clio because there are so many takeaways yeah. that, that you provide that are good for everyday usage of, uh, you know, in this case, timing, communication skills, yeah. uh, how to deliver messages, right? I'm wondering if, if, if we were to say, if I ask you, like, what would be your takeaways if if I didn't have the chance to read this book, but I wanted to hear what would i learn from this what's yeah. the takeaways what would you say
1: there are many takeaways i think the one of them we we've, we've already talked about which is that we need to understand that our brain power changes over the course of a day your brain does not operate the same way throughout the day mm. and so and unfortunately the premise in a lot of what we do is that yeah it doesn't really matter what time of day we do something as long as we do it we have a to-do list but Knowing when to do something is as important as knowing as knowing what to do. So that would be the first that would be the first thing that I say on that. But then there, um, and, and I think at a broader level, it's just simply paying attention to time, uh, being good observers of your own behavior, um, and also just thinking temporally. So that you know, think about our interview here. Our interview has a beginning, our interview has a has a middle, and our interview has an end. And that's going to affect how you and I are interacting. That's going to affect how your listeners are going to process this.
0: So I'm, I'm curious about what comes next for you. Here you are. This book came out. You're at, what, book six? Yeah, right? Book six. For the man who's been to law school, who's been a professional speech writer, who's got three New York Times bestsellers, uh, now this. Where do you go from here? What's, what's next? I don't know. Uh, what's I'm just, next you know, on your horizon? I'm,
1: I'm going to write another book. And, and, you know, writing a book is, is really, really difficult. It's a giant pain. And so you have to pick a topic that you're really, 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 really interested in. And so uh, that is actually not most topics. And so right now I'm, I'm searching around for, like, what's, what's a topic that would keep my attention for several years and keep readers' attention for the six hours it takes to read a book?
0: I, I'm wondering, you know, we talk about, you know, in my firm that we have a mission. There's something that, yeah. that is at the core of what we do sure. every day. And we try to keep that in mind and yeah. direct life around that. Uh, and I'm wondering, with with you, there's a, at least some core message to the books that you have. But I'm mm-hmm. wondering if you have uh, put together a, a clear mission, or what is it that you're here to do for us? What is it that you bring to us that's that's driving you to keep pushing these books out?
1: It's an interesting question um, because, like, sometimes you have a mission that you announce, and sometimes you have a mission that you, that I guess, gets revealed over time. And so for me, it's the latter, uh, so that. Like maybe like, a, what, what am I doing here? Okay, ask yourself that question. What am I doing here? And I, I think if there's a mission at all, it is, I really want, I, I feel like we know a lot about the world mm-hmm. at a macro level. We know a lot. But at an individual level, it seems crazy and chaotic and incoherent and hard to understand. And so I guess at one level, what I want to do is I want to bring some clarity to that. It's like basically like, okay, yeah. hey, I'll figure this out for you and explain it to you because I like doing that and maybe bring some clarity to you. And then maybe once you have that clarity, maybe you'll do one thing different that day and your life will be a little bit better off. And I'll have some purpose for toiling away in my office eight or nine hours a day, swearing at the computer.
0: I mean, is there a, maybe it's too strong a word. I'm just wondering if there's a, if there's a legacy here somewhere that you've advanced professionals to do their jobs better. You've uh, I don't know what. I don't Maybe. want to put words in the I just want it could be a legacy I, I piece. I hear what here. you're saying. I, I think about
1: that in a different regard. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what I think about that in in a, in a different regard. I think about this. So I live in Washington, D.C. And, you know, so there's a Library of Congress, and every book that's gets published ends up in the Library of Congress. And so as a writer, you know, all of my books are in the Library of Congress. Because all books are in the Library of Congress. Right. Um, but I do feel like at some point my great-grandchildren or great-great-great-grandchildren, whom I'll never meet, will maybe go to the Library of Congress in 2146, you know, right. and right. if there are, assuming there are still books and there is still in an America, and they'll say, wait a second, that, that sounds familiar, wait a second, that guy was my great-great-grandfather, and so there's something about that and the legacy that I think is appealing about the profession
0: of writing books. Yeah, I love that they're, they're, they're with us forever yeah exactly uh, well uh, as hard as it is to say it looks like we've reached the end of the road for this episode and I I want to give a heartfelt thanks to, uh, to Daniel Pink for joining us thank you thank you uh, today if our listeners have questions or want to follow up
1: how do they reach you just go to my website which is www.danpink.com and so there's all kinds of resources there um, and there's actually a, a contact page too
0: also, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us in Apple Podcast or Google Podcast Spotify or your favorite podcasting app. I'm Patrick Pallas. Until next time, thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com.
1: Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook, or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes.